Tonight we are looking at Lesson 11 in our Three Angels series. The title is The Beginnings of the Sanctuary. Looking at the sanctuary, we'll be covering the first part of this in tonight's lesson. And in our next lesson, we will cover in more detail some of the specifics of the sanctuary as it continued to develop throughout Hebrew history. So before we jump into this lesson, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this evening and for this time that we can study your word. We pray that you will guide us and lead us tonight by your Holy Spirit. Please help us to understand your blessed word for our lives and to know especially how this message speaks to our lives and our everyday experience and especially to being saved in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing in this and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sanctuary, the reason we want to study this in our Three Angels message series is that it's actually uh, something that is integral to the message of the book of Revelation, also the prophecies of Daniel. Many of the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation are centered around the sanctuary. We see sanctuary imagery in those various prophecies. So we want to understand this throughout the, the Bible and see how it connects with what we're looking at because we will definitely see in the next several lessons how this all comes together and uh, we'll see how the sanctuary definitely plays that role but this helps to unlock the prophecies as found in the three angels messages of revelation 14. another thing that you'll notice tonight is that the message of the sanctuary the, the teachings of the sanctuary basically our presentation of the gospel message and the three angels are about spreading the everlasting gospel to the ends of the world so we're going to see some of the various elements of that here in our message tonight looking at the beginnings of the sanctuary but i do have a question for you as we're getting started and that is if you were laying sickly on your deathbed how much would you be willing to pay to have good health again and to continue living in peace would you be interested? You know, what would you pay to try and live longer? And the, the reason behind this question is the value of life. How important is life? I think you will give everything that you have to survive. It's very valuable. If you, if you could do that, if you could survive, you would give something to do that. Yeah, if it, you know, if it means like changing the entire <laughs> situation that you have, mm -hmm. then yeah, anything. I will give everything, you know, anything that I have, everything that I have. So life is something that's precious to us. I think that's something that all of us recognize. Life is very precious yeah. to be rather than not to be. <laughs> you know, the question to be or to not be, well, we want to be because God gave us life and he put, he put life in our hearts. He put that desire in our hearts to live. Yeah. You think about the gift of eternal life, it's very, very valuable. And the way that God made Adam and Eve in the beginning was to live forever. That was the original plan. They weren't supposed to die. And so the Bible is clear that, that God has put that desire in our hearts, eternity in our hearts. He wants us to, to live forever. We have a desire. Now in this world, people get depressed, people suffer a lot, and they say, well, I don't want to live forever because of all that suffering. And it is understandable that you don't want to suffer forever. However, God has something way better in store for us. He has something planned out that doesn't involve suffering, but it involves eternal life and not death. So it is very, very valuable and life is worth a lot. And we do see that the Lord has paid a lot for us to be able to have life. He has given his own life on the cross of Calvary. And that is very, very powerful. Now also, if there was a way to have forgiveness for sin, peace, love, and eternal life, in a world with no suffering, sin, death, or crime, would you search hard to find that way and take it? And as a way to have forgiveness, all of us have done wrong in our lives. We've sinned. We have, we have messed up. And if you've done wrong to somebody, how does it feel to be forgiven? Is it a good feeling? Yes. Is it, is it good to have peace with others? <laughs> to know that there's somehow peace between you? You've made peace if there was a wrong there. I think that, that that is something that unburdens our hearts when we have that, that sense of peace, that sense of forgiveness. 
And if we could have those things and have the gift of eternal life in a world where there isn't any crime or bad things, then what would we do to find that? Would we think it was worth our time to go and search for it? Would we spend days searching for it? Would we spend weeks or months or even years searching for that kind of situation? If we knew that it was attainable, that we could find it, would we spend our time and our effort seeking for it to find that experience? Because these are some of the important questions when it comes to experiencing salvation. If there is something like this that is so worthwhile to have, what would we do to obtain it? What would we do to have that experience? And just some thought questions here, you know, as we're getting started. What would we do? So, the first steady question tonight is this. What does sin do to man's relationship with the Creator God? And we're going to let the Bible answer it. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. Genesis 3, verse 7 through 10. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Thank you for reading that. So we have Genesis 3, and in this chapter, there's the story in the first six verses of how man kind chose to sin. How Eve chose to sin, to eat this forbidden fruit. She listened to the serpent or the snake. And, you know, we, we know that's the devil. So she listened to him. She ate the fruit that she should not eat. And God had told them that if they would eat of that fruit, they would surely die. So the Bible says here that the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, when God came walking in the garden, were those aprons enough? They weren't enough. They still felt naked. They still felt ashamed. Ashamed for their sin. So the aprons of their own devising were not enough. The fig leaves that they sewed together by their own precious efforts were not enough to cover the shame of their nakedness. Especially when the Lord came walking in the garden. They immediately felt naked. They immediately felt ashamed. And we see later that God actually made them some clothes to cover them, but we'll get to that eventually. But I just want to look at what happened to the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. What happened to their relationship here? Did they Many things. Did their sin help them grow closer to God and closer to each other? No. Started the first marital fight. Yeah. Separation. Blame. Shame. Shame. Mm-hmm. Between themselves. It's something they never experienced before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shame between themselves and the blame game. And so there was a lot of guilt there. Yeah. A lot of heavy feelings. We see here that it says Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. How many people today are still hiding from the presence of the Lord? When they hear about God or church Even or a lot of Christians are talking still hiding from God. Right. Yeah. A lot of Christians are. So, you know, people are still feeling that guilt and shame today. And a lot of people don't want to show up in church because they don't want to hear the truth that would kind of point out their sin or make them feel uncomfortable about their sin. And God wants to save us from that sin. God doesn't want us to experience this kind of separation from Him where we're stuck in shame, we're stuck in sin and regret. God wants us to overcome that. It's amazing that God came looking for them. He knew they had sinned. He could have struck them with lightning and said, get rid of those miserable creatures. They just sinned. But he didn't. He actually came looking in the garden for them. It's like the good shepherd going out and looking for that one lost sheep. And here you have two lost sheep who are out there. Sheep that deserve to die because the wages of sin is death. But here the Lord comes looking for them, and He he comes with uh, kindness. He comes and He talks to them. Now, He does not approve at all of their sin, 
And there will be consequences for the sin. We're all suffering that today. But the Lord had something in mind that was going to reach them somehow beyond their sin. That God was going to save them from their sin. And this is certainly a very important point for us to consider. One of the things here we clearly see is that sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that the iniquities of the children of Israel had separated them from their God. Their sin had separated them from God. So separation is what happens because of sin. Sin breaks relationships, breaks our relationship with God, and it breaks our relationship with each other which, you know, the Bible says those are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So those two relationships, the, the vertical one and the horizontal one or ones, those relationships. And sin, sin is uh, exactly the uh, device that ruins relationships, that pulls us apart that creates that pain and that suffering and that guilt and all those other things that go along with it. So what was God going to do about it? Well, he came to them and he reached out to them and he offered them a plan. Instead of striking them dead on the spot, lining them up for the execution chair, electric chair or something, they didn't have that back then, but I'm sure God could have done anything he wanted. But instead of doing that, he had a plan to forgive them. Yes, they were in trouble. Yes, they were going to experience hardship because of their own choice. But God had a plan still to deliver them from evil. And that is a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. Now, let's take a look at what exactly is sin in the first place. Looking at verse 11. Can somebody read for us verse 11 of Genesis 3? And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Thank you very much. So there is the question, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat of it? So the question was about eating of the tree. Did they eat of the tree that God had forbidden them to eat from? And in fact, it uses the word even here, commanded. God commanded them not to eat from a certain tree. So when they ate from that tree, when God said not to eat from that tree, then they broke one of God's commandments. God told them not to do it, and they did it. And you might say, well, you know, eating a piece of fruit doesn't seem like you're harming anybody, seems kind of innocent. Well, it's not innocent because you're breaking God's word. You are stepping out of alignment with the Creator's will for your life, God has already told you what the consequences will be, and they have chosen to do that anyway. They've chosen to eat from that forbidden fruit anyway, so they broke a commandment of God. In so doing, they exalted their own wisdom, their own reason, their own will above the will of God. They stepped out of alignment with the rest of the universe, whereas the entire universe is surrendered to the will of God because everyone loves God, wants to follow God except Satan and his group, <laughs> but everybody loves God. You know, all the other, the holy angels, they love God. They want to do his will. And this is how man was created to live, living according to the will of God, because he is God. Mm -hmm. And so they actually decide to put themselves in the place of God, to put their word above God's word, their ideas above God's ideas. And this is really foolish if you think about it because we're just creatures. We're just created beings. We are very, very limited. And we need to, you know, we need to know that God has, has true wisdom. So here's another verse that we should look at. And we'll come back here to Genesis. But take a look for just a moment at 1 John 3, 4. That's in the New Testament writings, the letters of John. Not the gospel, but the letters. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Thank you very much. So here the Bible says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. If we break God's law, if we break God's commandments, that is sin. That's the definition of sin. 
to go against the will of God, to break His Word, to break His commandments, and, and to exalt our own way above God's way. So that clearly is sin. If we do that, we're committing sin. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They committed sin because they broke God's commandment. God told them, don't eat from that tree. They went ahead and ate from that tree anyway. And they were committing sin. They were disobeying the voice of God. And that's, that's what they were dealing with here. So God actually asked them. It's very interesting. He asked them to confess. Now, did God know that they had eaten from that tree? Yes. He knew. He knew before they were going to do it. He knew. God knew what they had done. Yeah, He knew. He knew where they were heading and what they were, what they were choosing. So God knew what they had done. But why did God come and ask them, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Is there a point or a reason in asking them? What is, what, is he, what is He asking for when He asks them this question? What does He want them to do? To confess. Thank you to confess. They need to confess that they're wrong. Now, why do they need to confess that they ate from it, that they sinned? Is there some point to confession that's important? Before you can be forgiven. Okay, so before being forgiven, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But what is good about confessing something to God? Now, that is important to notice here that they confessed their sin directly to God, didn't they? It was actually them confessing to God Himself. So, biblical confession directly to the Lord, just like here in Genesis. So, this confession, what is, have you ever heard the expression, confession is good for the soul? Have you heard that? Confession is good for the soul. What is it about confession, telling what you've done wrong, that is helpful or healing? Can you think of anything? Basically, it's admitting that you had wrong knowledge. Okay. It's admitting that you had wrong knowledge or wrong choice. Well, okay. I think it's that good could... to confess your sins. Uh -huh. You don't confess, but because, you know, as you said, it helps you acknowledge, acknowledge. that, that yeah. you have done wrong. Yes. And also, it clears you from the stress, right? Because you know that you have done wrong, so you better fess up. So there's something about so leveling with someone when you've done wrong, like trying to make it right. The first the thing, thing is... Yeah. There's a lot right. of people that, that confess because you can the, still confess your sins. The Bible says we need to confess and forsake our sins. Yes. <laughs> so there needs to be a genuine desire to, to, yeah. to give it up, yeah. to right. not live the life of sin. So the first thing when it comes to healing and receiving healing is recognizing that you've done wrong, confessing that you've done wrong. You're not going to go see a doctor if you don't think that you're sick and say, I'm not sick. Well, then you're not going to go see a doctor because you don't think you need healing. So we need to recognize that we have done wrong. We need to admit that we have done wrong. And we should even know what we did do wrong. What did we do wrong? Well, here they ate from the tree they shouldn't have eaten from. So what did you do wrong? What was the sin? What was the transgression? And once you start to realize that and you are able to admit that, that you have done wrong and this is what you did wrong, then you can start working on healing. Then you can receive forgiveness and you know, be on the path to do what's right because you recognize that that was wrong and you don't want to do it anymore and you're willing to come clean. So coming clean on it with God is very, very important for healing because otherwise we're just going to live in sin and not confess our sin and you're not going to receive forgiveness because you don't want to level with God. You don't want to make it right. You don't want to even admit that you did wrong. When God Himself says you did wrong, so if you say you didn't do wrong and God says you did do wrong, then who's wrong? <laughs> not God. <laughs> that, means, that means us, we're the one that's wrong because we didn't want to admit our guilt, our well, sin. That, that's when pride comes in. That's exactly right. It's pride. Yeah. It's pride. And, it, and so we can't be forgiven if we want to live in pride, which is more sin. If we want to, you know, boast of sin and do sin and say it's not sin, you're making self above God. You're putting self above God. You're putting your word above God's word. And that's, that's a big sin already. So the, multiple sins get added to it, don't they? When you don't come clean on something and confess it, you end up adding a lot more sin on top of that sin. Stacks up quick. <laughs> that's a dangerous thing. So, if we think about it also, we start to point this out, that our own efforts will not cleanse us from sin, 
and they will not restore our relationship with God. You cannot just cover yourself up with fig leaves and hope that it's going to work, that it's going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. Our own works, our own efforts will not save us from our sin. We need something greater than us that can save us from our sin. And ultimately someone who is greater than us to save us from our sin. And the Bible talks about in Jeremiah 13, 23, it says, Can the leopard change his spots or the Ethiopian change his skin? And what is the answer to that? Can leopard just change his spots? No. He says, then, then neither can you, like, who are accustomed to do evil. How can you do good when you're accustomed to do evil? So we cannot save ourselves. Our own efforts, our own fig leaves will not cover it. Self-righteousness will not work to save us because we've all sinned and come short of God's glory. The Bible is very clear of that. And if whatever we try is not going to really solve the problem, we need God's help. We need God's forgiveness. So what is required to pay the price for sin? Well, Genesis 2 and verse 17. Yes, you're right on that. We're going to get to that point. So Genesis 2, 17, what does that say? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, thank you. So God told them, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what's interesting is, before this point, everything was good. You know, God made all these things, and He said, it's good. If you don't get back here to the, the first foundation, the concepts of it, mm -hmm. you, you, you're missing, you don't have basically what we said, you have the wrong knowledge, and there's a lot of Christians out there that have the wrong knowledge. That's right. So we need to get back to God's knowledge. <laughs> yeah. so, so the knowledge of good and evil. We don't want knowledge of evil. We don't need that. And here it tells us that the result of that is death. It tells us right from the start, the wages of sin is death. Using similar words, it says, if you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, Satan said, you won't surely die. Who was telling the truth? God was telling the truth. Satan was lying. He says, oh, you won't really die. You can eat this stuff. Eat it all day. Commit sin all day and you won't have any consequences. Yes, you will have consequences. So the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of, of blood, there is no remission of sin. Because again, the wages of sin is death. God said if you eat of that forbidden tree, you will surely die. So the wages of sin is death. The Bible is very clear about that. And that, that is consistent from cover to cover in, in the scriptures. Now, what we notice here is that God actually provided a way to forgive mankind. God provided a way to forgive mankind. Because otherwise, they would have just died right there. Gone. No hope. No hope. But God did have a way to take care of the sin problem. And it was going to require blood. The wages of sin is still death, no matter what. It was going to require blood. The question is, whose blood would be given in this situation? Were Adam and Eve going to shed their own blood for their sin no. and then be gone forever? Or was somebody going to shed blood for them to give their life for their life? So we're going to get into the animals here just in just a little bit. But the first one is in verse 21 of Genesis 3. And this is where we see the first, the first instance of an animal giving up its life for the sake of the guilty pair, Adam and Eve. Who can read for us Genesis 3.21? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Thank you. Now, you don't make clothing out of skin and still have the animal walking around, do you? Nope. Say, I'm just going to take off your skin. No. Right. <laughs> the only way for that animal to give up its skin was to die. Right. You had to die. Now, that animal was innocent, hadn't done a, a single thing wrong. It hadn't sinned, had it? This was the first death. The first death was this little animal. And it died not because of itself, not because it did anything wrong, it was innocent. It died because somebody else did wrong, because Adam and Eve had sinned. And so the skin from that innocent animal covered the guilty pair 
and the blood from that animal was shed on behalf of the guilty pair. So God himself took the skins from that animal and then the Lord made them clothes from the skins of an innocent animal to cover the shame of their nakedness to clothe them. Now this theme stretches from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. This theme of being covered and not letting the shame of your nakedness appear. Do you know that even in the sixth plague of Revelation, when you talk about the seven last plagues right there, the Lord says he's coming very soon. And he says, don't let your nakedness be, be exposed. Don't sin and, and then have the shame of your nakedness appear. So that language is used from cover to cover in Scripture, starting right here in Genesis. Very important when we look at the, the messages of hope, the prophecies of hope, the three angels' messages. We start to see the gospel and the sanctuary and the sacrifices throughout the Bible, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. We start to see it right from here. So this animal gave up its life and covered them with the skin of the animal. Now we see very quickly that ultimately it would be Christ Jesus who would give up his life for us, the innocent one for the guilty ones. His blood would be shed in place of us and our blood so that he could give us the gift of life and cover us with his righteousness, his robe of righteousness because he's innocent, he's perfect, there's nothing wrong with his covering. And so he takes his own covering and puts it over us. So instead of our filthy rags, he takes those things off and he says, here's my righteousness, my righteous robe to cover you. And so, that, so when God looks at us, he doesn't see us naked. He sees us covered in the robe of Christ's righteousness. We need the robe of Christ's righteousness because without it, we're in trouble. Without it, we're naked and ashamed. Without it, we have no hope. But with that covering, there's salvation. There's peace with God. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's very powerful when you start to see that the gospel was presented right here from the book of Genesis. From the very beginning, as soon as there was sin, God's plan to save mankind was already instituted. He already had another plan, a backup plan. If these people go wrong, I have a plan. And that was to give His own blood on our behalf. So let's take a look at verse 22 through 24. What do you see there? Yeah, Genesis 3, verse 22 to 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Thank you very much. So Adam and Eve experienced a bunch of consequences. Okay, obviously they felt the nakedness. Obviously they saw this animal die for them. Now they were covered with the skin. But there were other things God said to them. Work was going to get harder. There would now be thorns and thistles and weeds that would come up that they'd have to work on trying to pull out. Childbirthing was going to become a lot harder. Now they would have suffering in life, and now they would have even death as a result. They would experience death. So life, life became shortened. Life became simply a probationary period between two dots where you and I have an opportunity to make a decision either for God or against God that we will either serve the Lord or not serve the Lord. So God has given us a probationary period of life, a shortened period of life. And in this period of life between the two dots, we are called to make a decision. Will we serve Jesus? And it needs to be a decision that is a commitment, that is an everyday decision, that is a choice to serve God continually, to surrender to God continually. Because think about this, Adam and Eve were put out of the garden for their sin. Do you think that God will bring us back into the heavenly garden if we choose to live in sin? 
No. No. God's not going to bring us back in there to eat from the tree of life if we choose to live in sin and practice iniquity. The devil got kicked out of heaven for practicing iniquity. Adam and Eve lost the garden because they committed sin. The book of Revelation tells us in chapter 22, and I think it's verse 14, it says that blessed are those who keep his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. Now, you might not find it in those exact words if you read one of the modern versions, but if you read it from the King James Bible and from the majority Greek text, you will find it written that way, where it says, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So, the, the concept, again, is cover to cover in the Bible, that, that God wants us to be changed. Our sin separates us from God. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They were put out of the garden. Uh, they felt the separation already before that. And then they had to go out of the garden. And God said that they should not be able to eat from the tree of life and live forever in sin. They could not be perpetual sinners. They had to experience what death was, what suffering was because of their choice to commit sin. So now you look at the world today. Why is our world so messed up? Well, this is why. Because of sin. Because of the separation from God because of sin. Very important to keep that in mind. Another thing here is that they went out, verse 24, they went out and God placed a cherubim at the east of the garden to keep the way. And there was a flaming sword which turned every direction to keep the way to the tree of life. In other words, you could not go back in to the tree. They were put out of the garden and you couldn't go back in there. There was a division. The way was being kept back to the tree of life. There was a way and there was a gate there on the east side. Now this is significant because the east side, we see it in the sanctuary, that that is where the gate was. To enter the sanctuary, it was set out according to the compass. So the east side is where you would enter into the courtyard of the sanctuary. We're going to be learning more about this in our next lesson. We'll touch it a little bit today, but we'll learn more about it in our next lesson. So on the east side of the sanctuary, there was a gate. And that gate led into the courtyard where there was an altar of sacrifice. And then we have a laver for washing, and then we have a holy place and a most holy place in the sanctuary proper, the actual uh, sanctuary compartments or rooms. We'll look at that in more detail next time. But I just wanted to point out the connection here about the east gate and the way to the tree of life being guarded, being kept. So you couldn't just go in. There was not access. Now, <clears throat> the idea of sacrifices, we find it carries on in the very next chapter of Genesis. There's two brothers here, Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. They both bring an offering to God. But God accepts one offering and he does not accept the other offering. Why? Is God just playing favorites between these two brothers or is there a reason behind it? Abel offers the lamb that God said to offer. From his flocks, he offers a lamb. Now Cain, on the other hand, this other brother, he decides that he's going to offer his fruit directly from his garden. Hey, I don't need to get a lamb. I can just offer fruit. That's from my garden it'll be just as good. The only problem with that is that God had told them what they were supposed to offer. They were supposed to offer a blood offering. Fruit doesn't have blood, does it? If your fruit is bleeding, get rid of it. <laughs> it's not good. It's pomegranate. <laughs> so, so there's no blood in fruit. Fruit is not living like, a, like an animal. So God had a specific plan. And how do we know that God already told Cain those things? Well, because... In verse 7 of Genesis 4, it says, If you do well, shall you not be accepted? So, in fact, verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you wroth, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So, God says, look, why are, why are you upset that I didn't accept your offering? If you do well, won't it be accepted? In other words, he knew that he wasn't doing well. He knew that he was doing wrong because he was choosing to ignore God's word and God's way of salvation. The salvation plan that God had given when he could have taken that fruit 
and traded it to his brother and got himself a sheep or a lamb and then offered that animal, he chose not to. I'm sure they had extra as a family. They should have, you know, yeah. sheep. Easily. There's no, yeah. there's no way to get around no, it. No. He wouldn't have had a problem. There were plenty no. of sheep. Right. He could right. easily get one from his brother. He may have had oh, one. Yeah, they're from the family. His brother raised sheep. So well, still, you know, if... wherever he needed to go, there were plenty of sheep. Yeah. And it wouldn't be hard to get one. The problem was he wanted, he wanted a religion of convenience. He wanted his own way. He didn't want God's way. No. You know, trying to say, well, oh, there's many ways we can get to God. We can do whatever we want. No. Is that what God says? And God will forgive us. And that's what they say. Presumption. <clears throat> that's presumption because it's not faith. Faith follows God's plan. Faith trusts God's way, trusts God's promises. That's faith. Mm. But presumption says... This makes sense to me. I can do it my own way. I don't have to follow. Wrong knowledge. Oh, that is. Yeah. Yeah, it is wrong knowledge. So you are presuming to do it your own way instead of following God's way. And you're not surrendering to God. You're saying that you're God. Because you're saying, well, I'm going to make the rules. I don't care if God says to do it that way. I'll do it my own way. And God will accept it. Do you think God is going to accept no. that? No, because that's disobedience. That's disobedience. That you're trying to justify trying yeah so people are trying to justify themselves but they're going the wrong way so god was very particular about his way of salvation wasn't he yes. he was particular about his plan he said no wait a second i've laid out the plan of salvation it's not that way cain it's this way and you know that and your brother knows that and your brother followed the right way but you didn't follow the right way and the really sad thing is that this brother, who did it the wrong way, got angry at God, and then got angry at his brother, and killed his brother. Mercy. So he broke the commandments about honoring God, and he broke the commandments about loving your neighbor. He and broke them both. There wasn't, there wasn't none of that yet, though. Wasn't any of what? The commandments yet. Well, some people might say that. But when you start looking at the Bible, then you see he knew it was wrong to commit murder. Exactly. Yes. He knew it was wrong. Uh-huh. Because God yeah. said he will put the law in our hearts. Yeah. So, so that's another thing we can get into more, maybe at a later time. But yeah, the commandments themselves, the teachings about what's right and what's wrong, were already there. They were already there. Uh, you see in the book of Genesis that Joseph knew that it was wrong to commit adultery. And the Bible says that Abraham followed God's laws and commandments and statutes. Well, where's the list of those? Well, we don't have it in Genesis, but do we need to have it in Genesis? Because Moses, Moses actually wrote down Genesis and Moses wrote Exodus and Exodus has it all there. So why does he need to write it in Genesis if Exodus has it? So, so yeah, the people back here in ancient times, they knew what God's commandments were. They knew what was right and what was wrong. God told them. So God gave them that knowledge, and we see it throughout Genesis. We see the references to God's laws and statutes, what's right and wrong. We see uh, these various kinds of sins and how they were wrong. So the Bible does outline it, and we have no excuse today. We have no excuse, because the Lord has clearly given it to us from cover to cover in the Bible. He has clearly outlined for us God's holy law. So this was a big problem that... Cain tried to do it his own way and not follow God's way. How many today are trying to run in the way of Cain, in the error of Cain, trying to do it their own way and not God's way? Trying to find many roads that lead to salvation, many ways that they think will lead to salvation, but these are not God's way because the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it, not because it's too hard to find, it's not too hard to find, but because people don't necessarily want to find it. Because the Bible says broad is the way that, that, that leads to destruction, and a lot of people go that way. It's the, the big wide road that everyone says, well, it's so easy, we just travel this way or that way, and somehow we'll end up in heaven. And that is not salvation. That's not what God says. God says there's a narrow way, and we need to follow the way because faith will obey the voice of God. Uh -huh. Faith will follow yes. God. 
you remember, you remember that Adam and Eve got themselves in trouble because they did not obey the voice of God. And that's what started the whole mess. We're not going to go back to heaven by disobeying the voice of God. Faith will choose to surrender to the voice of God. Faith will choose to obey the voice of God. We will be looking for God's way and not our own way. So we have to follow God's way. That's the thing. Now, the Bible tells us in John 4, verses 23 and 24, you can turn there if you like, John chapter 4, New Testament, Gospel of John. We see Jesus telling us what true worship looks like. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Who has that for us? Yeah, the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you very much. So Jesus was teaching some very important things here. He mentions true worshipers of God. If there are true worshipers of God, are there also false worshipers of God? Yes. Looking for loopholes. Want to do it their own way and not God's way. Yeah. So, so there's true worship and then there's false worship. And Revelation points out both of these. As a matter of fact, the three angels' messages, which we are studying in Revelation, they point out the difference between true worship and false worship, where the first angel presents the true gospel, the everlasting gospel, and the second angel presents Babylon, this counterfeit fallen system. Babylon is fallen. There's a warning. And Revelation 13 and Revelation 14, they present the difference because the first angel in Revelation calls us to worship the Creator, worship Him who made. And the message of the world in Revelation 13 says, worship the beast and his image and take the mark of the beast. You see, the difference is between true worship and false worship. This is the story of the scriptures, the difference between God's way and man's way. Now, the Bible says here in the words of Jesus that the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. We need the truth of the Bible. We need a thus saith the Lord to guide our faith experience. We don't just do whatever we think we want to do, whatever we think should be the right thing, or whatever everybody else seems to be doing. Oh, everybody's doing it, so it must be right. right. No, that's not what Jesus says. There Jesus, they all go. Yeah, there they all go, right off a cliff, like those pigs, right off a cliff. So, we don't want to go right off a cliff. What we need to do is follow the Lord Jesus. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth if we want to be a true worshiper. Jesus is very clear. So, let's take a look at John 14, 6, and let's find out what Jesus says about the way of life. John 14, verse 6. Somebody want to read that for us? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can Cometh to the Father, but by me. Thank you very much. So Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by Him. Now you think about man's situation. Sin separated us from God, didn't it? And sin caused mankind to be put outside of the garden, out of the east gate of the garden. And there was an angel put up there with a sword, a flaming sword that went every direction, and it was blocking the way to the tree of life. There was no way back into the garden where God had met with mankind. No way except through that gate and through that flaming sword. Now what's really interesting to me is that the Bible says that this word of God is a sword, sharper than any two-edged sword. Cuts, yeah. And this Bible shows us the way of salvation, doesn't it? So this verse from John 14 and verse 6 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. So when we look at the way, God has a way. He has provided the way, and that way is through Jesus, the one who died on the cross for our sins. And He says He is the only way. 
Nobody comes to the Father except through Him. There's not another way. He is the way. It's only through Jesus that we find salvation. The world needs to know Jesus because He is the way, the truth, the life. And this is what the Bible is showing us. It's showing us the way back into God's presence to the Father. The way is through Jesus. He alone has provided that way. There's not another way. Jesus is the way. And we want to follow God's way. We can't follow our own way. You know, it's interesting that the Bible, when it talks about Christians in the first century, before they were called Christians, what were they called? They were called the way. They were called the way because they believed in the way, the truth and the life. The way of salvation is through Jesus. Now, there's another scripture that I want to close our lesson on here today. And this is Psalm 77 and verse 13. Psalm 77, verse 13. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great is our God. All right, and you're reading that from NIV tonight, I believe, right? Okay, yes. Somebody else who has a different version, I'd like to hear your version. Psalm 77, verse 13. Mine's the King James Version. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, who is so great a God as our God. Yes, thank you. So, I already know about that difference between those two Bibles, so I have it in your notes. Yeah. It's there in your notes. Yeah, no, so I know which word it is. It's the word Kodesh. So, yeah, the Hebrew word is the word Kodesh. And the, the NIV renders it a little different. They just say holy. But it's actually best translated as sanctuary because the sanctuary was composed of holy places. A holy place and the most holy place. And so when you talked about the Kodesh, you're talking about the holy way or the holy places. So here the Bible says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, the Kodesh, the holy place. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? God's way was shown to mankind in the sanctuary. And what was integral to the sanctuary was the sacrifices, the offerings, the blood that, that made atonement for sin. And this was pointing ultimately to the coming of of one, Jesus, who would shed his blood for us on Calvary. And so when we look at the Hebrew sanctuary, we're actually studying the blueprint for salvation. God's plan of salvation that he has laid out in the pattern of the sanctuary. And we're going to be seeing that in our next lesson. We're going to be looking at the details of the sanctuary and how it very, very much points us directly to Jesus and it shows us the way of salvation. It lays it out. Do you think that God uh, didn't know his plan of salvation from the beginning? The Bible tells us in Revelation 13, 8, that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God clearly knew the plan of salvation before it ever happened with his fall back there in Genesis. So when God gave the sanctuary, he's not thinking, oh, let's see, what can I do now to teach these people? And I'm going to just make it up as I go. Was God just making it up as he went? No, God has a master plan. He says, look, I already know what I need to do here. I already know my plan of salvation. I already know my way, and it's through my son, Jesus Christ. God knows his way. And so from the very start, when God killed that little lamb, that little creature there, and put the skins on Adam and Eve to cover them, to cover the shame of their nakedness with the skin of an innocent lamb, a righteous lamb, God already knew what he was doing. He was showing the way of salvation from the very start. And this is, this is where the, the sanctuary concept begins to build in Scripture. It begins to build because the plan of salvation was instituted right there in Genesis, and you start moving forward through Scripture, and you see it laid out more and more and more clearly. You see the sanctuary plan, and then you see this, this traveling tabernacle in the wilderness, and then you see the temple built, and then you see this one who comes and saves us from our sins. So in our next lesson, we're going to dig into the sanctuary 
the way, the plan of salvation. And as I mentioned before, this unlocks many of the prophecies that the three angels' messages teach us about in the book of Revelation, and then also in the book of Daniel, in these prophecies. Many of them have sanctuary imagery. They are centered around the plan of salvation and God's model or blueprint for salvation, which was the sanctuary. So that's why we're going to spend a little time on it. We're going to unpack that in our next lesson. But the question I have for you tonight as we close up this lesson is, would you like Jesus to be your lamb, your Lord, and your Savior, to take away your sin, to cleanse your life, and to give you eternal life? Would you like to be covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to be saved through His blood and His perfect life, His perfect righteousness? We need that, don't we? There's no other way of salvation except through Jesus. So tonight, let's give our hearts to Jesus as we respond to God's Word. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your wonderful love. Thank you for your blessings tonight that we could feast on your Word and think about this incredible plan of salvation that you have laid out from the ages past, from the ages of eternity. Lord, you have known the way and shown us the way. You have revealed to us the way, which is through Jesus. Lord, we want to receive that eternal life through Jesus Christ tonight. We want to renew our commitments to you, renew our hearts in your grace, Lord. May you fill us with your spirit and guide us in your way. And for any who may be listening to this, perhaps on the recording, I just pray that, that everyone will hear the voice of Jesus tonight. And, and at this time, and will respond and receive Jesus fully as the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, may we follow you and experience your gift of eternal life through Jesus. For this we pray in his holy name. Amen. I'm looking forward to next time, lesson 12, we'll get into what is the sanctuary in more specific detail and the components of the sanctuary. And we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up in our lessons ahead. We're going to dig into some of the prophecies where we start to see the sanctuary imagery come alive. When we get into some of the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, we're going to see how this comes to life. So we've got some exciting stuff coming up. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, <laughs>